chat What is going on, fellow chatters? Today on the show, I get a chance to chat with Eric Alper. We chat about the future of music. Will the album format disappear? Also, Eric gives me some tips to help me guide my way through social media with my kids. The coffee that is long for the ride today is the peppermint mocha from Starbucks. And now, here is Eric Alper. Joining me for a chat today is the host of That Eric Alper Show on Sirius XM, Eric Alper, music publicist extraordinaire. How are things today, Eric? I'm good, man. How are you? Oh, I'm pretty good. Uh, you getting ready for the Christmas season? Oh, yeah. You know, it's it's. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel this time every year where things shut down in the media and the music industry for roughly about two weeks or so, even though that I'm, I'm still in the office every single day working along setting up all of January, February. But it's it's kind of um, it's like the calm before the real calm, and then the storm then picks up again in January. So it's all good. I I guess it does pick up with the the music award shows for you. Yeah, it used to be that January and February primarily used to be slower times to release music, um, but that kind of ended a number of years ago. I mean, it, it, it you know when retail was still around. The record stores and bookstores and Walmarts and Targets, places that would carry CDs or music, um, would do almost a third of their entire year's revenue based on the last six weeks of the of of the year. But now that Spotify and Pandora and Google and Apple and iTunes and Tidal and everybody now has access to music whenever they want and listen to whatever they want, however many times they want to. Um, things get are things get released all year round, so it's not like that. The major releases are only in the last couple of weeks of the year, and then the indies come on strong in January and February. There's music by major artists being released every single day. Forget about it even being on a Friday these days. Now, there's this actually something that uh, I kind of wanted to get into with you because you've had the experience of being in the music business for a number of years, going through I I don't know how many format changes you've been through. Uh, uh, with your artists, but where do you see? At, at, well, as I don't know how many format changes have you seen with with, I, with your I artists. I started, yeah, I started in the early two thousand. So nineteen ninety nine was was really my first day in an office working for Koch, um, and then we got bought out by Entertainment One, and then I worked that. But uh, usually, I mean, at that time, CDs were were selling. Uh, through the roof. I mean, even indie artists with a following in their local city would be selling two to 500 copies a month of their releases just from the one or two or three record stores in Canada. You know, it really helped having Sam the Record Man or HMD or Sunrise that was around in a big way. Um, but, you know, we were still selling cassettes of certain artists right up until a number of years ago. Um, I, there's a couple of artists. One of them is named Daniel O'Donnell, who is an Irish crooner. He was selling five to 10,000 copies of his cassettes up until, you know, maybe mid-2010s or so. Um, because we always felt that, you know, we're not going to tell people how to consume music. We just want them to consume music on whatever format. So I've gone through, like, you know, not the peak of the CD, but... When I first started, that's when people started not only um, hearing about digital files and MP3, but that's when Napster came along. And then we started to see 
um, uh, you know, the downfall that 2020 vision has for all of us, um, you know, of Napster and and other, you know, free sharing sites completely annihilate the, the music industry to what we're still trying to get rid of and out of every single day now. Yeah, and I, actually, I wanted to, to touch base with you on when do you think streaming is going to kill the the album format, per se, where artists go in and record, you know, eight to 12 songs and put out that piece of content, whereas when they feel a song coming on, they record it and release it out onto Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Google uh, yeah. iTunes, yeah. whatever format or whatever stream service they want. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to make a sure bet, and I'm going to say in 20 years, um, even though that's a long time. But the reason why it's going to take that long is because you still have pretty vital artists, at least on the touring side, artists like Styx and Journey and um, Roger Waters and, um, you know, even on the Canadian side of, of Honeymoon Suite and David Clayton Thomas and all of these artists that are still touring um, to sold out shows, they're still putting out an album once every every year, every two years, because that's the mentality that they still have, and rightfully so. They have the opinion that the art that their fans still want twelve songs, fifteen songs to listen to, and that's totally, totally fine with them. Um, it's it's the, the the new generation of music lovers who are eight to fifteen years old that really don't have the wherewithal or the time to spend listening to 22 songs. But whenever I think about that, I think of me releasing a 26-song album and all 26 songs make the Billboard Hot 100. Um, and that's just because of the way that, that the streaming consumption works in relation to the, to the charts, where now it doesn't even matter if it's a single or there's a video out for it. If it's getting, if it's getting hurt, then it's going on the chart. Um, so I think it's going to be a generational thing for sure. Um, there's a lot of artists now that can do three to 5,000 people a night when they're on tour, but they just have an EP. And I think their, their problem or their struggle in relation to these classic heritage artists are that they may not know how to be able to perform really, really well because they've just gotten shoved out there after a couple of hits went viral or worldwide, but it's also that they may not have two, three albums deep by the time that they actually start playing arenas. Um, but you still have artists like Pearl Jam and, and um, Dave Matthews Band released a full-on album this year. Jack White still loves the album format. So I think if you're into rock, you don't worry about it. There's still going to be a need for albums. I think if you're into hip-hop or pop, then I think you have to kind of look at how much your audience is consuming music and and kind of go from there. But I think a lot of it is based on the EP now, which is, you know, five to seven songs or less than 30 minutes worth of music. And I guess that's probably where the, the multi-group tours come along, where they can spit yeah. out, you know, have a 30-minute set and have four or five bands cover the, the two hours a show usually takes. It, it, it's amazing that when you think about the new artists that are getting airplay on the radio now, if you don't hear about them, but you go to their tour date listing, they're playing 40 or 50 shows every half year, but they're playing them with multiple artists. It's the Motown way of doing their own shows back in the late 60s where they would bring you know, six to nine 
acts with them on the road. They would only do the hits, and then they would get off. And then they would go to the next town and do the exact same show. Um, tours like the iHeartRadio, Jingle Ball, for instance, or the other local radio stations' involvement with with festivals and with promoting, trying to um, trying to you know exceed their branding. They're adding, you know, sometimes in the cases of twelve to fourteen um, artists on one bill because they're playing two songs each. And that's what the fans want. So you kind of got to give them what they're looking for. So it's, so once again, the music business comes around again. <laughs> At some point, yeah. everything is the same. <laughs> as long as A-Track tapes don't come back, I'm good with it. <laughs> now, as a publicist, uh, for musicians today, is it harder or easier to stand out from the pack compared to the days when groups had a marketing force behind them with, with their record labels? Yeah, it's a lot. It's certainly a lot easier to go after the fans or potential fans more than ever before. Um, There's never been a time when um, better than now, where for a couple of bucks a week you can go and boost a post to like-minded fans on Facebook or community that you want to find on Instagram or Snapchat. It's very easy, not only to. Um, to at least set yourself on the path to reaching not only the fans that you already have, um, but the fans that you also want. The only big problem with that is that you've got to pay for it because all of these platforms are free. And if something is free, well, then, man, you and I are the ones that are being sold. So it's a lot easier, certainly, to reach your fan base. It's a lot harder because the way that the music is being made these days, the competition is fierce. So if you're a band or an artist from Toronto, let's say, your competition isn't another band from Toronto. Your competition is every single musical artist that's available on Spotify. And there's 45 million tracks available and 22,000 different songs that are being uploaded to Spotify every single day. That's your competition. You're a rock band, your competition are the Beatles and the Stones and the Who and Zeppelin and everybody else that's come along because we're all going after the exact same eyes and ears as everybody else out there in history. So that's becoming more difficult. And because there's no um, there's no straight gatekeepers anymore, meaning, you know, back in the eighties when I was a teenager loving music in a big way, um, somebody would dictate to me on MTV or Much Music or Toronto Rocks or Rockin' Tonight, what five videos were the best videos of the week? They would dictate to me what the charts were, what was deemed cool. Now, those programs don't need to exist anymore because we all can watch and we're all our own critic on social media. We can look at what thousands and thousands of blogs are writing about each and every day. So it's not just you record an album, then you send it out to radio, you hope radio plays it, and then you go to Much Music or MTV with the video, and then if they play it, then you're a superstar overnight. I mean, there's a lot of stories that artists have telling me that the day before they got on Much Music, nobody knew who they were. But the day that they were on Much Music, they got stopped in the street in malls and they couldn't walk without security guards anymore. That was the impact that I don't think is happening anymore. And I don't think it ever will, because I think that the climb to the top of the heap, or at least, you know, moderately the top 10% of popularity is so much harder to do these days because of the sheer amount of artists that you have to jump over in order to get to the top. 
<laughs> that's how I actually bought my CD. A lot of my CD collection was watching Good Rocking Tonight at 11.30 on Friday nights and then hitting the, sure. the, the music yeah. stores Saturday morning. Yeah, and we were all watching the same shows. We were all reading the same four magazines, whether it was Rolling Stone or Spin or Chart or Exclaim. And that was it. That's all you really, and your local radio station. And maybe, you know, campus radio. If you were so lucky to live near a station and you had a diverse batch of taste. Now I can get any single radio station I want online. So I'm, I'm, it's so easy you know, look, as big as Drake is right now, and he's probably one of the biggest artists since Michael Jackson, and maybe even the Beatles when it comes to chart dominance, there are people that can go through life without hearing a Drake song because they're just not on the same path as where Drake is being played. So if you don't physically go and look for Drake, there's times when you have no idea that he might be on his 140th single, and that's no joke. You couldn't walk around as a pop music fan in the 80s and not know who Duran Duran was or who Cyndi Lauper was or who Madonna and Michael Jackson were. It, it, it was just an all-consuming method that the complete lack of, of media outlets compared to what they are now um, is completely different, even though that the traditional media of newspapers and magazines have kind of gone a little bit down in terms of circulation or by the wayside or or gone completely up in their place are, you know, tens of thousands of music blogs from around the world all champion what they believe is the best music that they heard that day. Yeah, it definitely has become segmented in the last little while because I know, like, music that I listen to uh, wherever, if I stream it or listen on the local radio stations are definitely not the same music that my kids listen to. Um, to a certain extent, I, I think what what you might find later on as your kids get older is that we're all going through the little bit of the same steps, is that you kind of get into the pop music, and then sooner than later, most kids, not all of them, but most kids hit, you know, the Led Zeppelin and the classic rock or the retro 80s or whatever it was. And then they start to kind of fall a little bit off with the music consumption by the time that they're 33, when they start to get married, they have a job, they have a mortgage to pay. They're not going out six nights a week or even once a month like they used to. Um, so it, everything does go in cycles. I think what you're finding is that this might be the first generation that actually shuns classic rock and the music that have been really popular for 50 or 60 years or so. Um, the proof is all there, you know, as big as the Beatles are and as big as we all think they still are, the amount of Google searches that are looking for their names based on the under 21 year olds are dropping every single year. But that's normal. You know, that would be like when I was growing up in the eighties, um, I would be listening to music from 1920. I mean, there's no way that I would be doing that no matter how good, you know, Louis Armstrong or, Sarah Vaughn was or, you know, early jazz or scat music. Like it just wouldn't, I wouldn't even have access to that music. So to ask a teenager in the year 2018 to listen to something from 50 years from the Beatles back in 1964 or 68, I think that's a big ask for them. And I think only the, the strong will survive until we, 
we kind of get older and through there. So in 20 years, are people still going to be listening to the Beatles? I don't know. You know, there's only a couple of handful of artists that, you know, survive to this day selling records or getting streams from the 1940s. And really, it's Frank Sinatra and maybe a handful of others. It, so I, I think I think everything does go in cycles. Yeah, I mean, it will be interesting to see, you know, 20, 40 years from now, what what will the music be from, you know, where we grew up, the, the you know, the 60s, 70s and 80s, 90s kind of. Yeah. And, and, and that and, and, you know, and I love I love thinking about that kind of stuff. Because, look, when I hear Bruno Mars, I, I like him. I, I think he's super, super talented. Um, but there's a lot of adults who don't, who, you know, maybe not get into him. But through no fault of, the, of Bruno's own, you know, they're just not into music that's being played today, or that they may think I got James Brown. What do I need Bruno Mars for? Or I got, you know, Sam Cooke, or I have, you know, the collection of Marvin Gaye. What do I need this artist for? Um, and and that's a perfectly legitimate statement to make if you don't want to get involved with today's music. But you know, will Bruno Mars be? Um, talked about and listened to 40 years from now, probably, and not because, and I, and I, you know, people get really snarky about this on Twitter whenever I mention things like that, because they're relating actually their own situation to, to somebody like Bruno Mars today, or Ariana Grande, or Beyonce. They're like, no way Ariana Grande is going to be, you know, talked about 40 years from now. She's not that good. And it's like, it's got nothing to do with the quality of it. In your eyes, it has everything to do with what her music and Bruno's music and Beyonce's music um, or, you know, even Post Malone, all these artists mean to the teenagers now, because that's the thing that's going to stick with them for the rest of their lives. So when they start to have wedding parties and stuff like that, will they put on a Post Malone album? Probably. Well, I mean, (laughs) I have music in my collection that I listened to when I was a teenager and well, it's not the greatest music, but it stuck with me. It's yours. Yeah, exactly. Now I want to do a little bit off the top of music and go into social media. And as a, as a dad with a daughter who's wants to start getting into YouTube and and is on some social media top social media platforms right now your daughter is full-on into social media she does a lot of social awareness now do you have any tips uh for dads or parents uh with a daughter being you know wanting to get into that kind of of uh environment yeah you know just i i mean look i as a parent it, it helps when you're on those social media sites to begin with. Um, I'm not on Snapchat. I have no reason to be on Snapchat, but I get Snapchat. I know exactly what it's for. I know exactly what it's what it's there. We've actually been pretty blessed to grow up in the in the age of social media, where probably you and I and a lot of our listeners remember going on MySpace, and then that led to Facebook, and that led to Twitter, and that led to Instagram, and and now Snapchat, and of course, you know, the, the seven thousand other different media sites that. <laughs> that didn't actually stick for very long. Um, But it helps to to go on those sites. And also it helps just to be smart about things. Social media is not another world. Social media is an extension of your world. So the things that you would never say to somebody to their face, you know, has no place for it on social media. And that's exactly what, what my wife and I taught Hannah was that, you know, just because you or, or is it because somebody has an anonymous name or 
not a photo. doesn't mean that they can't be tracked, and it doesn't mean that they can't be kicked out of school. Bullying doesn't work in real life, and it doesn't work online. And you just have to not ignore it, but as a parent, know that this stuff exists and be aware of what your kid is posting. Certainly, you know, in the very beginning, when Hannah was first on on Facebook when she was 13 and then Twitter, um, you know, we were monitoring everything, what she was writing about before it got posted. So we would actually walk with her on certain words and what they mean and why maybe saying this is better than that and giving our seal of approval because, you know, knock on wood, we're not dumb when it comes to social media. And as a publicist, that, you know, hopefully, you know, that taught me a lot about the perception of human beings and the ability to treat each other with kindness and respect and good in both our private lives and our public lives and then our social media lives. So, you know, the things that I would post on online and the things that Hannah would post online aren't phony. They're, they're not, you know, us trying to be happier or better than what we are as people. We're just people who don't argue with anybody just because somebody invites you to a fight doesn't necessarily mean that you have to do it. Um, we don't criticize. We don't insult. Nobody cares about your opinion either way. Um, you are one of 270 million accounts on there. No matter how many people are following you, make no mistake. You can leave that site tomorrow and nobody will shed a tear. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of people who lost their jobs, they lost their partners, they lost their family, they lost movie roles, they lost acting gigs, they lost concerts based on what they were saying as their opinion. I don't need to go there. No, it's Nobody cares about what my opinion is. But, you know, it's those little things that you get to a crossroads. Like, well, I'll, I'll give you an example. So with, with Hannah, she just, you know, She's an author. She wants to do good. She wants to use social media for good. She wants to use it to mobilize good ideas and kindness and things like that. Um, she would never criticize Donald Trump directly. It doesn't matter who is in the White House. It doesn't matter who the Prime Minister of Canada is at this very point. Not that they don't matter, but if somebody has an issue with gun control, let's say, and somebody wants to tweet that, that's okay. But directing that towards, say, Donald Trump or Trudeau, I and we wouldn't do because I'm not about to cut my audience in half based on people thinking that I don't like that prime minister or that president. Um, and so if any change wants to be made in the world for good, you can make that change regardless of who's in power. Because as a kid and as a teenager, they realize very, very quickly that the person at the top isn't going to be at the top for very long. And if you want to see real change, you have to be able to work with everybody. You have to be able to see all sides of it. Even if you don't agree with it, you need to understand where they're coming from so that you still build up your audience and you just don't start getting into fights with people. I, do, I have no time for that. Nobody cares uh, – look, I, I, I get it. It's a very volatile situation. I tell all my artists to – you know, it's great that you get to use your voice, but don't be surprised if 50% of your audience leaves if you're pro-Clinton and you want to, you know, slam Donald Trump. You know, these people have every right to leave you and don't think that you know your audience, you know, better than Bruce Springsteen does. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's sort of the, the line is 
are you against a person or are you for a thought or something bigger than the person itself? For sure. Like, look, if, if, if somebody, if, if somebody wants to help out, okay, let's, let's take an issue of, food, of, of hunger in our communities and the lack of food or lack of wealth or lack of, of accessibility with, with certain um, associations or nonprofit groups. All that stuff is completely viable. We are never going to solve that problem as, as horrible as that sounds. But I, we wouldn't go and slam the mayor of Toronto. We would start working with the Daily Bread Food Bank to make their jobs a little bit easier. We would run food drives. We would volunteer our time at the Daily Bread Food Bank here in Toronto. We would, um, you know, uh, make sandwiches or, or make hot meals for the homeless and drive around the city for a couple of hours in one afternoon and go do that. That's that's solving the problem for that person at that very moment. To make the big change of things, yeah, you got to work from the inside, but it's something that... Um, that doesn't need to be done rallying people just yet on social media. Although there, there have been a lot of associations and nonprofit groups like the March for Our Lives um, kids and other organizations that have mobilized on, on social media. Um, and that, that kind of stuff works for them. I'm not just about to put Hannah, and I don't think Hannah wants to be put out in the open just yet. But I think one day she will be. Well, that seems like great tips. And, and if only we could all sort of follow that, you know, procedure, follow it. Uh, yeah, it's just definitely. Being, it's just being nice to people. That's all. <laughs> exactly. You know, you know, every, every artist that I work with is like that too. You know, they've got a choice on whether or not if they want to do autograph sessions after the show, I certainly don't force them to, it's, it's not my area, but they know how I feel about it. It's great. It, if I could tell them, my, how I how amazing I felt meeting my favorite artist at a record store or during a signing or them coming out for photos. It blows people's minds when they do that. But certainly, you know, I'm not about to to tell them that they're nasty. It's just that if you if you just work towards kindness and and love and peace and stuff like that, not in a hippie sort of way, just you know, really don't be a dick. You know, like yeah. you got five seconds of every day of every decision <clears throat> not to be mean. So just don't be mean. Now, when I have a guest on, uh, I do what's called a fast five. It's five questions. First thing that pops in your head, give me the answer. You ready? Okay. Uh oh. Who was your favorite artist to work with? Um, Andy Kim. What is your favorite album of all time? Uh, talk talks laughing stock. Poutine or pizza? Pizza. Oh God, that's not even a, not even a fair <laughs> question. Uh, yeah. Favorite beer or alcoholic drink? Don't drink at all. Haven't since I was seventeen. No after a night <laughs> with being best friends of the toilet bowl, and I never wanted to go back to that ever again. Uh, favorite place to pick up a shot of Java? I'm oh, sorry. Favorite place to what? Pick up a shot of Java. Coffee. Uh, Tim Hortons. Okay, cool. Tim Hortons seems to be in the lead with a lot of my guests <laughs> for some reason. Now, a lot of them, you know, I mean, funny. a lot of them are Canadian. But... I don't drink coffee at all. <laughs> and when my wife and I first met, she's a coffee fiend. She loves it. And she was so suspicious of dating me after I told her that I didn't drink coffee because I only drank tea. 
Um, but I, I used to drink like eight cans of Coke a day just for that caffeine hit. So that was pretty good. Well, where can people find you on the internets? Uh, they can go and visit the website anytime, that ericalber.com, or they can visit me on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram at that Eric Alper. Well, thanks very much for coming on to the show. No problem. Thanks so much for having me. I would like to thank Eric Alper for chatting with me, and thanks to you for tuning in. And you can contact me on Twitter, at Jason Perrier. That's at Jason, P-E-R-R-I-E-R. And use the hashtag chance to chat with if there is someone who you want me to chat with. Until we chat again... I'm out.